Well, thanks to everyone who has contributed to our Resurrection Sunday service. And uh, those who have been up front and those who have been at home, those who are here this morning, our greeters, our tech team, and uh, Christine Buzan, who's just walked into the back. Um, maybe you can't see it on camera, but we can all appreciate it here. Uh, the decorations that have changed over the course of this week to reflect uh, the journey of Holy Week. Some of us who have been around the sanctuary get to appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, but thanks, Christine, for all of that. Well, today uh, we come to the account of the resurrection as it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And that's going to be our focus. And it's, it was important to me to have uh, Kira do the announcement and Katie do the reading because the women factor very highly in this account. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is a critical historical fact because it confirmed for the disciples that Jesus was indeed not just an ordinary man. This is the confirmation. I mean, we talked about last week, the victory, or on Friday, the victory being won at the cross, but this is the confirmation of that victory. The confirmation to the disciples that Jesus was not an ordinary man. Now, while the early disciples uh, were mostly uneducated, women and men, they knew that dead people generally stay dead. They understood the concept. Uh, they weren't living in a magical world where people were popping up and being resurrected all the time. This wasn't a usual event. And we catch that in the gospel account. We witness their shock. We witness their fear. You'd be afraid too, right? If you saw someone rise from the dead. Uh, we witness their disbelief. You'd question your sanity, and they do too. And we get to witness their transforming joy as they realize the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. So we get to bear witness uh, through this account of the gospel, and we see that here. But it's interesting to me how the different gospel writers take a little bit of a different slant on presenting the resurrected Jesus. And when you begin to do a bit of a comparison, uh, some people say, well, there's contradictions everywhere. They're not contradictions. They're really different angles. And I love the different angles in the Gospels. Uh, John, he presents Jesus as a spring gardener. That's how uh, Mary finds him, right? Aren't you the gardener? She thought he was the gardener. I love that. And John plays with darkness and light. I think John's account really uh, appears to the, appeals to the artists among us. He's very artistic in his portrayal. Uh, Mark, I love Mark. Mark's kind of the working man's gospel. Uh, it's probably the, the sermons of Peter that have been recorded for us. And Mark's account of the resurrection is very abrupt. It's very sudden if you end at the text that we're really sure of. Uh, Mark has this dramatic cliffhanger. They get to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. Dun, dun, dun. It's kind of left like that, right? Uh, not a lot of details beyond that, and I love Mark's uh, portrayal of that. Luke. Luke presents Jesus as kind of a traveling teacher. Uh, when Jesus is raised from the dead, he pops up here and he pops up there. Suddenly he's walking with some people along the road to Emmaus. Suddenly he interrupts a dinner, you know, and he pops up and he instructs them more completely about what just happened. And so I think that appeals to the cerebral kind of people among us, that extended teaching of Jesus. But when we come to Matthew, something very unique happens in Matthew's gospel. For Matthew, it's a full-on 
Theophany. Now, don't worry if you're not familiar with that word. I'm about to explain it. A theophany is this visible manifestation of God to a particular person or group of people. Matthew makes it very, very clear that this isn't just an ordinary man that rose from the dead. This is the incarnate Son of God. This is God himself coming and walking among us. And Matthew wants to make that clear, and he does so by pulling on all the classic Old Testament kind of things. There's the earthquake, and there's the angels, and there's bright lights, and there's people falling on their faces. And he's basically saying, this is your God. And the people understood that because what did they do when they saw Jesus? They worshiped him. That happens twice in the text. They worshiped him. And you're not supposed to worship something if it's not God. They clearly understood that. But they worshiped the resurrected Jesus. And Matthew wants to make that really clear to us. So all the gospel writers, they agree that Jesus died physically and he rose again from the dead physically. But they have different angles uh, to kind of back this up. I'm also always fascinated by the psychological change that happens with the disciples. Because as Jesus approaches the trial and he approaches the cross, what do the disciples do? They scatter. They start to leave. And after he's crucified, what do they do? They lock the doors. They hide out. And honestly, can you blame them? Like, I like to think I would have been the one that went all the way to the cross. Not likely. Uh, because they were afraid that they were going to be next because that's what happened with all the other so-called messiahs. And so they were wondering if they were going to be hunted. Some people, maybe even in this room, know what that feels like to be in danger of their very lives because of their witness to the gospel of Christ. That's where the disciples were at. But then Jesus appears and what happens to them? They become so crazy courageous like there's this psychological transformation that happens that verifies for me that they actually saw Jesus because these disciples got so crazy courageous that they were faithful right to the point of death. All of those early apostles, except for John, they faced horrific deaths, martyrs' deaths. And right up to the end, they held on to this testimony. Jesus is alive. They believed it wholeheartedly and it gave them unbelievable courage. And so in the Acts of the Apostles, we see a shift taking place. Not so much uh, a fixation on the cross, it's there, but there's a preoccupation with the resurrection. The resurrection is what forms the early church because the testimony was verified and was true, and it gave people the courage to live even in the face of persecution. That's how real it was for the early early church. So the other reason we don't see a lot of focus on the cross in the Acts of the Apostles is because a lot of the apostles weren't there to witness the cross. I don't know if you ever thought about that. A lot of the apostles were hiding out somewhere. They, they weren't there front and center to witness it. They were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, but they missed the cross. But there was one group, one particular group that saw both, both the cross and saw the empty tomb. Who were they? The faithful women. They saw not only the cross, but they saw the empty tomb. And this is amazing. Believe women. They are the true heroes of the narrative here. And we see this really coming to light, not only in Matthew's gospel, but in each and every one of the gospels. It's revolutionary 
It's transformative. It's amazing to see the kingdom of God beginning to take root, even in the first witnesses. And I think we really need to pick up on that. So all the gospels agree that women were the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus. William Barclay says this, and I love this quote. He says about the women, they had been there at the cross. They had been there when he was laid in the tomb. And now they were receiving love's reward. They were the first to know the joy of the resurrection. Isn't that great? So, as we witness the narrative now, one of the things that we can observe is that these women, this group of faithful women, were given three things to do. They were invited to do three things, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. First of all, they were invited to believe. They were invited to believe that Jesus is alive. If you look at the text in verse 6, the angel says, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. I love that invitation. That's the best way to invite someone to believe in Jesus. Come and see. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try and convince you. Just, just come and see. Come and see. And they're, they're invited to come and witness the evidence. Come and inspect the tomb and come and believe the truth that Jesus is actually alive. So that's my first invitation to you today, to come and believe in the resurrection of Jesus, to come and believe that he is alive. Now, I know a lot of us, and I include myself in this, are kind of natural skeptics. And so sometimes we wrestle with a fair measure of doubt even as we believe. I think a lot of us uh, pray the prayer every day, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith in that sense. And I love the fact that even among the disciples, there were those who doubted. There were those that struggled. And they weren't excommunicated. They weren't kicked out. They weren't shamed. They were invited into the process. I think of Thomas. And he often gets a, a bad name as Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. I want to call him Believing Thomas because in the end, he comes to believe fully, but he wrestled and that was okay. Even in this passage, if you read it all the way to the very end of the passage, it says that they gathered in the end with Jesus and they worshiped, but some doubted. They, some of them doubted, but all of them still worshiped. And I think that's a picture of a journey of faith. And so, yes, it's okay to have doubts, even in our faith. But this morning, the challenge is this. It's also okay to believe. You have permission to believe. You're invited to believe. You're invited to believe that Jesus is actually alive. And what a wonderful freedom we have in that. So that's the first thing. They're invited to believe. The second thing, they're invited to share. They're encouraged to tell others what they have seen, what they have witnessed. You look at verses 7 and verse 10, it shifts from come and see to go and tell. Go and tell. And it doesn't say go and convince people. Go and, and argue these particular points. Go and brush up on all your knowledge so you're prepared. I mean, we do need to prepare, be prepared, but sometimes people are afraid to share because they think, I don't know enough. Or, or I just, I'm not sure I could argue it well. Or, or what happens if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? But the invitation here is go and share what you know. Go and share what you've seen. Go and share what you have 
experience. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about what you know from your experience of the risen Christ. That's the way that we witness. Uh, The root of that word martyr is actually in Greek, witness. Now, we're not all, I hope, going to be martyred in the sense of dying. But I hope we all have that sense of witness, that we're all able at some level to say, you know what? I don't know everything, but I know that Jesus is alive, and this is how it has changed my life. This is the difference it makes in me from day to day. I struggle. I sometimes fall on my face, but I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm saved. I know that I have a hope for a future. I have this confidence in Jesus to be able to share something of your experience with another person is part of the instruction of the gospel and part of the instruction to this, these women. So that's the second invitation. I invite you to share the resurrection today. Don't keep it to yourself, but share it. Just share it from your experience. Share it from what you know. Well, the third thing is this. They were invited to rejoice. They're invited to rejoice. They're invited to dry their tears and be surprised by joy. In verse 9, it says that suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And that word greeting is kairo in Greek. Don't test me on my Greek because I don't always pronounce it right. I had to look it up. But that word actually literally means rejoice. That's how Jesus greeted them. It's kind of a greeting and a command all at once. It's kind of like when I would say to the dog, Sit, you know, it's a greeting and command all at once. Well, this is rejoice. He was greeting them with also an invitation to rejoice. And when I hear that, it reminds me of Psalm 30. And the verse in Psalm 30 is this, sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that. I know there's lots of people feeling sorrow these days. Uh, Just like the women, as they were approaching the tomb, their hearts were heavy. When you read John's gospel, he says they got up in the morning while it was still dark. It wasn't just dark outside. It was dark in their hearts. They had this heaviness, this burden, this sorrow. So many of us this last year have carried all kinds of sorrows, all kinds of grief, sometimes very lonely kind of grief, sometimes without other people knowing. And yet we come to Resurrection Sunday with this invitation. And from the message, it says this, the nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. Maybe that be the invitation that you need today. The invitation that Jesus is alive. And so although sorrow may last for a night and it's real, the promise is that joy comes in the morning. And so I want to invite you also today to receive a glimpse of joy, even if it's just a little piece and be surprised by it. Let it take root in your heart and let it bring resurrection life to you. So the women were invited to believe and to share and rejoice, but this isn't just about a past event. The resurrection isn't just looking back on a historical event. The resurrection is meant to be a reality in our lives today. That's the real hope of the resurrection. Paul says, if we believe in Jesus, then we are in Christ And we have been raised with Christ. That's an amazing thing that we have participated in the resurrection. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to wait to die to 
to participate in the resurrection life of Jesus. And if we can tap into that right now, we can sense the power of the resurrection. How often we're tempted during difficult times to ask the question, where is Jesus? Where is he? Why doesn't he show up? I want to give a little bit of a different angle to that question this morning. I'd like us to ask the question, when is Jesus? When is Jesus? Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, then he is now. He is here now. He is alive now. He is available to help us now. If we can get the present reality of the living Christ through our mind and into our heart, then I think we will live very differently. The name Rachel Held Evans might be familiar to some of you. Uh, she was a, an author and a speaker. She passed away in May 2019 at the age of 37. And some of you might have remembered um, her loss and that, that loss to the church um, worldwide. I remember listening to a podcast uh, of Rachel and she was talking to someone else. And I found out later that during that podcast, she was actually nine months pregnant and she was having contractions one minute apart. And yet she completed the podcast because she thought it was really, really important. And all the people in the studio were kind of placing bets and hoping that she would deliver right then and there and that they would have naming rights over the baby. It's kind of the backstory to it. Uh, but Rachel's had this quote uh, during that podcast. And I just want to share it with you today. God is not a God of self-improvement plans. Ours is a God of death and resurrection. And that God can take anything and bring it back to life. I don't know if you're feeling this last year like a little bit of death creeping in, a little bit of darkness. Today on Resurrection Sunday, we can trust that our God, the God who rose Jesus Christ from the dead, can bring us back to life, can restore us to life. So the women at the tomb, they supported the ministry of Jesus all along. They were behind the scenes often supporting the ministry of Jesus. They also did not run from the crucifixion. They were there at the cross. They cared for his body afterwards. And then they explored the empty tomb at the invitation of the angel. And so they were the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus. So believe the women, believe their testimony this morning and enter into the wonder and joy and life-giving power of the resurrection of Jesus. May we know him now. May we know him today. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you sent your son. We're so grateful that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. But we're so amazed that on the third day, he rose again according to those very scriptures. And that he was witnessed by so many reliable and verifiable accounts. And we're grateful today that these many years later, we still worship a risen Savior. Father, help us in our time of, of darkness or challenge, that we'd move toward joy, that we'd be surprised by your grace, that we'd have encounters with the very much alive Jesus, that we might enter into worship. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.